Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Claude and Kelly. That's why I'm so proud of you, community of faith. You know, you know who's joined us uh, in partnership over there in Burundi? Nobody. It's just you. And you've done all this. Claude and Kelly are on our staff. Those hundred workers that they're talking about are on our staff. And it just shows you. When Laura and I came back from Mexico City, where we were missionaries and started Community of Faith in 2003, that was our dream, that we could impact the world in a really strong way. And you have been doing that. You're changing that whole country. And I think about what Jesus said. He said, when you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you've given it to me. He said, at the end, it's going to be him looking at us and say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. The Batwa people used to be called the pygmies. They are the little ones. They've been discriminated against for over a thousand years. And you've broken that. And that's an amazing thing to me to see what God is doing as he breaks all of those chains of oppression and all the things that are going on. So I'm so proud of you. Next week is our giving week. This is what we give to do all of this and continue it. And it's just going to be a celebration. So as you're praying about what you want to give, I want you to give more than generously. All right. I want to talk to you this morning about God's gift of peace. It's Christmas time. And I think that we could use some peace. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. We talk a lot about peace at Christmas, but uh, do you really experience it? You know, there's a, a prophecy in the Bible about Christmas that talks about peace. You remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds on that very first uh, Christmas night, Jesus had just been born and they said, I'm coming to give you great news, good news of a great joy, which is gonna be for all of mankind, peace on earth. God is demonstrating goodwill toward mankind. That's what Jesus was all about. You know, the thing I, I, I love about the Batwa people as we've walked in friendship with them and walked in love with them, they've been asking us, why do you do this? Why are you doing this? And we get to share Jesus with them. And that's why they've started those churches. And they're just, it's starting to multiply like crazy as they're beginning to move it out across the, the whole country. And it's amazing to see what God's doing as he just continues. Claude has a dream. He told me, I have a dream in the next decade, at the end of the next decade, that we're giving back to community faith. It's all sustainable what we're doing. We're trying to make it so that it's sustainable. But he said that Burundi could give back through community of faith to the rest of the world, $2 million. He said, what if the poorest country on the planet could give $2 million back to mission around the globe? Would that be a dream come true? That would be amazing, right? So we're dreaming that with them as we just continue to see God just multiplying everything over there. Isaiah 9 gives us this hope for peace at Christmas. And let me just read it to you. It's a, it's a prophecy. It says, hope of all hopes, dream of our dreams, a child is born. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. Sweet breathe, a son is given to us, a living gift. And even now with tiny features and dewy hair, he is great. The power of leadership and the weight of authority will rest on his shoulders. His name, well, his name will know in many ways. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Dear Father Everlasting, Ever Present, Never Failing, Master of Wholeness, Prince of Peace. His leadership will bring such prosperity as you've never seen before. Sustainable peace 
for all time. Now, some of this prophecy is for when he came the first time. That last part is for when he comes the next time. The Bible says that he's going to bring that sustainable peace. But the Prince of Peace has been born. People are looking everywhere for peace. And what they don't realize is that peace is a person. Peace is a person. It's Jesus. Now, I want to look at Philippians chapter 4 as our main passage this morning. We might go a couple of minutes over, but I thought it would be really important for you to hear all that God's doing in Burundi through you. But I know this is important too. I want to give you five things that we can do that are going to establish this peace in our life. Just real quickly, it's a short sermon, but I want you to really hone in. You might want to take some notes because this is one of the things that's changed my life, okay? Our main passage actually comes with an amazing promise. It's in verse seven. Let me just read it to you of Philippians four. If you do these things that I'm about to talk to you about, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest. Does that sound good? Your thoughts quiet, your heart at rest. The Bible calls this the peace that passes understanding. That's what it's called, the peace that passes understanding. How do you know if you have the peace that passes understanding? Well, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of whatever circumstance around you that's going on, you have this unexplainable peace. That's the peace that passes understanding. Are you experiencing that? See, if not, we can. It's our birthright as children of God. It's interesting because it says he'll keep your heart. That word keep there, is it literally means to guard over in the original Greek, to guard over. Here's Paul in prison. He's writing this. He's got a chain on the hand that he's writing with, and it goes to a Roman soldier. A chain on the other hand goes to another Roman soldier. Two soldiers watching over him as he's about to be tried and about to be beheaded for his faith in Jesus. And he's writing, he says, God's peace is gonna keep guard. Just like these guys are keeping guard over me, it's gonna keep guard over your heart. It's gonna quiet your mind. So what is it that we need to do? Five things, might wanna write some of these down. Choose, number one, choose relationship over rights. Choose relationship over rights. In verse four of this chapter in Philippians, he says, uh, or in verse one in chapter four, he says, for this reason, brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, whom I dearly love, I cannot wait to see you again. Continue to stand firm in the Lord and follow my instructions in this letter, beloved. Euodia and Suntikai, I urge you to put aside your differences, agree and work together in the Lord. These two ladies in the church are having a huge feud. And I mean, they are going at it. This is like, you know, a cat fight for sure. It's just like tooth and nail, you know? And so it's so interesting because Euodia, her name means prosperous journey. And Suntuke, her name means pleasant acquaintance. And they were anything but either one of those, you know? And so he said, you, you're, you're arguing like crazy. And he says, goes on in verse three, yes, Sujugus, loyal friend, I enlist you to please help these women. So there's a guy there. He's probably one of the pastors. His name's Sujugus. And he goes, I want you to work with these two women and help them to get together because it's so important. They, along with Brother Clement and many others have worked by my side to spread the good news of the gospel. They have their names recorded in the book of life. They're believers, but they're not getting along. 
And Sujuga said, you're right there. Why don't you help them out? In other words, he's encouraging a third party to help these two ladies. What Paul is saying here, he's encouraging counseling. I love that we have an amazing counseling ministry here. And it's so important that, that we have that. You know, when, when, when I first got married, I thought that counseling was for other people because let's just face it, you guys have problems, right? And, and after I'd been married a few years, I realized something. Laura needed counseling badly. I can't tell you how helpful it is to have a third party to come along and, and who can interpret for the two of you a little bit of what's going on, filtering out all the hurts and all the things that have been building up. And Laura and I probably wouldn't be married today if it weren't for counseling. And the truth is, I was the one, I mean, actually went in and said, she really needs this. And by the time I was done, I was like, oh, I'm 90% of the problem, you know? So replace being right with just being with. When, when you win an argument in marriage, guys, you lose, right? You don't have to even agree all the time in marriage. Did you know that? Be with, be with. Change your goal from winning to just being with. And when, when your wife comes to you and says, and says, you know, I've got this issue going on at work or these are things that are bothering me and you try to give her three points. If you just do these three things, She's smarter than you. She already knows that, right? She doesn't need you. To, she just needs you to be with her. And if we give up our rights and give up all, and we say, I just want to be with you. That's a big thing. So change your goal to that. Number two, find joy in God's person, not in his blessings. Listen to what he says. Most of all, friends, always rejoice in the Lord. I never tire of saying it, Rejoice. These are commands. It's all in command form in the Greek. And it, it fascinates me how we as Christians, you know, we think about sin in our life a lot of times. We think, well, did I commit murder today? No, no. Did I commit adultery today? No. I'm doing pretty good today, you know? And we don't even tend to think of sin as not being happy enough. But the Bible says not being happy enough is sin. I didn't mean fake it. He's saying here twice, rejoice in the Lord. We look at Paul, it's midnight and he's just been beat to a pulp. His face is a bloody mess, eyes swollen shut. He's chained to a, a dirty floor in a Philippian prison. And if we come in and get in close, what's going on? He's singing, he's singing, he's singing praise songs. You're a good, good father. You know, you didn't know he wrote that one, but. He's saying some praise songs. It, it, it's an incredible. When your circumstances get heavy, what do you do? What do you rejoice in? Paul tells us rejoice in the Lord. In fact, 70 times in the New Testament, we're told to rejoice. Did you know that? You know what rejoicing really is? It, it, it's a reckless abandonment to Jesus in any circumstance. It's basically saying, Lord, I'm yours. I don't understand what's going on. I can't figure out why this has come into my life. I don't like it. In fact, I hate it, but I'm yours and you're mine. And because of that, I, I can have joy in my heart. Thank you that we have this relationship. I belong to you. That's rejoicing. 
It's independent of circumstances. It, it, it's, it's not joy because of, it's joy in spite of. You know, one of the biggest things that robs us of joy is when someone does us wrong, when life doesn't treat us fair. The next verse speaks to that. It says, keep your gentle nature so that all people will know what it looks like to walk in his footsteps. The Lord is ever present with us. That, that little phrase, gentle nature, is, is hard to translate. We don't really have a good translation. Anokai is the word in Greek, and it, it, it means forbearance, but we don't use forbearance much. So what does that even mean? It means to hold back. It means self-restraint, to hold yourself back, refraining from the enforcement of something you actually have a legal right to. Refraining from the enforcement of something could be a debt or a right or an obligation. And it's holding back from something that would be normal to do. It could be translated mercy. Have mercy with each other. And then it says, because remember, the Lord is ever present with us. That's not a great translation uh, in this particular translation. Uh, a really good translation is the Lord is near. But when you look at that in the way it's constructed in the Greek, it's saying the Lord is with us, and that's true, and that's why this translation is accurate. But also, it has this big connotation of his coming back is coming soon. And that changes everything. He's going to come back and take over. He's going to issue in that, that usher in that peace, and, and he's near. His, his return is imminent. See, as you focus on God, everything comes into right focus. Everything else begins to be so much less important. This whole world is passing away. That, that dollar or every dollar that someone ripped you off of, it, it's gonna pass away. It's gonna burn. Every argument that you should have won that you didn't win is gonna be really irrelevant. It's gonna cease to exist. Everything that your ex stole from you, it's not gonna matter. None of it will matter. Be reminded, Jesus is coming back soon. And he's gonna be asking us just a few questions. He said, he'll separate us off and he'll say, I was thirsty and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And you're doing that. Because as we step into a relationship with God, it's not works. They flow naturally out of this relationship. We can't help it. We want to see justice in the world because we have a walk with God himself. And, and quit judging everyone's motives. Jesus says that all the time because he says, it's really just a story that you make up in your own mind. You don't know what their motives are. You're making it up. You look at them and you say, I think I know their motives, but you don't. But he says, if you'll quit judging, leave that to me. When I come back and I'm on my throne, I'll judge everybody's motives. Everyone will know. So quit worrying about that. That's what takes away peace from you. I love that it's translated be gentle because it's a good translation. Anxious people, especially depending on your personality type, need to be reminded to be gentle. When I, when I get anxious, I'm not gentle usually. That's not the set. I mean, I'm anxious and I'm trying to control and I'm trying to hold on to everything and I'm trying to fix everything. And I become kind of brusque, you know, I kind of like prickly. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, and I can come in and I can come across that way. God's been 
working it with me on this like crazy. Pray that God would grant you a gentle spirit with that difficult child. Pray that he would grant you a, a gentle spirit with that demanding boss or maybe with your spouse. Another thing, number three, pray your worries. This is a big one. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Don't be anxious about things, it says here. And that word things truly, literally means anything. Instead, pray about everything. He longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what has come. God is really clear in the Bible. What does he say that we're allowed to worry about? Nothing. We don't get to worry about anything. There's no wiggle room in that verse. There's no exception. Well, this is a big thing. I need to work. No, this is a tiny little thing. God, I'll worry about this. God, no, there's no exception. It's a blanket statement. So you've got a problem and you're worrying about it. What does that do? Does that shrink the problem down when you worry about it? No, it usually expands it, right? I read a really a funny story this past week about the most reverend R.C. Trench. At one time, he was the Archbishop of Dublin. And like me, he had a lot of, you know, phobias and fears and stuff. And he had a morbid fear of becoming paralyzed, which doesn't actually make sense, but that was one of his fears, you know. And one evening at a party, the lady he sat next to at the dinner table heard him muttering mournfully to himself. He said, it's happened at last. Total numbness of the right limb. The lady sitting next to him said, your grace, it may comfort you to learn that it's my leg you're pinching. Worry is unnatural. It's, it, it doesn't make sense, does it? In the entire universe, the only creation of God that worries are people. Cows don't worry, even though they might be your steak next week, right? Dogs don't worry. Cats don't worry. They, cats worry me, but they don't worry themselves. I'm always thinking, what is that cat thinking? You know, I'll take over the world or something. It's unnatural. Why? You weren't born with it. You say, I think I was a natural born worrier. No, you weren't. You didn't come onto this planet worrying. You learned it. And because it's learned, the good thing about that is it can be unlearned. <laughs> That's the great thing when you've learned something, and some of you have learned it well, some of you have a PhD in worrying. If there was an Olympics for worry, I would enter you. You would win the decathlon of worry, right? And you say, yeah, I know, that's me. You're not a born worrier. You, you learned it, and, and so you've practiced it. The word worry actually comes from the old English word, which means literally to choke to death. Does that sound exciting? What is worry doing for you? It's choking you to death. Every time you worry, you're strangling, you're choking the life out of your peace. There's a really good verse that Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. And he, he says this, if you want to have peace, you want to get rid of anxieties, humble yourself under God's strong hand. And his, in his own good time, he will lift you up. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. What he's saying here is things come into our lives and God didn't cause those bad things. Only good things come from God, but we live in a broken world and bad things come. 
Jesus said, life is going to be really difficult. You're going to have trouble. He's promised it. And when we don't expect trouble, then it, it seems like what's going on in life. But life is trouble. That's what it is. And, and so God has a strong hand, though, and it's surrounding you. And he only, if you've got trouble in your life, he loves you. But he allowed it in somehow. He could have stopped it. He didn't stop it. Why? There's something going on that you don't understand. We talked about a little about that um, last week, but he says, but here's the thing. You're his personal concern. Little boy, he cares about you. Little girl, he loves you. He died for you. He loves you with all that he is, enough to give him his very self up to have relationship with you. So you can put the whole weight, roll the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. Some of us, that's some heavy luggage. You've been hauling it around for a long time. Worry is practical atheism. And we need to hear that because worry is a slap in God's face. It's a terrible sin. It really is. It's not, you know, we always kind of lightly, I'm a worry wart, whatever. No, it's a slap in God's face because you're saying, I don't trust you. I don't believe that you have my best interest at heart. I don't believe that you love me. You're acting like a spiritual orphan. God says, I'll care for you. I'll care for you all of your life. And see, we can trust him. That's one of the ways that we can be generous. I had a milestone birthday a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't 40, I'll tell you that, okay? And my kids, my kids bought me a gift. And it wasn't that long ago, I had to give my kids money to go buy my birthday gift, you know? And now they've grown up and they bought me a gift. They said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, oh, I never can think of anything really, you know, that I need. You know what they bought me for my birthday? A freaking Tesla. My kids bought me a, a, yeah, you're as shocked as I am, aren't you? I was like, my kids have grown up. That is crazy. That's, I told, that's way too extravagant. That's insane. I, I don't, you know, I don't even, I, I mean, I can't accept. They go, it's too late. We already bought it. It's yours already. And I thought, what an extravagant gift. I'm not a huge car person, but every time I look at that in the garage, because I'm leaving it in the garage right now, <laughs> I just, my kids love me. Wow, they really love me, you know? And I was just thinking, you know what? This is going to be great because we were, Laura and I have been praying about what we can give next week to Best Gift. And I thought we could sell her 2014 Nissan Rogue and get the money of that because we don't need it anymore. She can drive my truck because I want to keep it. But, um, <laughs> but as I was praying, it was like God said, that's what you're going to give? I said, yeah, that's awesome, right? He goes, I think you can be more extravagant. And it was like, it just hit me. Why don't you give back the cost of the Tesla to me? Uh-huh. I was going, thank you, God, that it's a Model 3 and not one of those that's $150,000 or something. You know, and, and so that's what Laura and I are going to do next week. And the thing is, though, it becomes a joy because I trust him. I don't know where it's going to come from right now exactly, but, you know, I trust him. You trust him? 
You really, I mean, that's one of the things that we show in our giving is that I trust you. Now, I used to not talk about giving at all because I always thought, you get so bunched up in the US, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are far from God that come and I don't want them to be, you know, thinking it's about all that. The thing is, we, we give it. We give millions and millions and millions. We give it away. Everything here we do so simply. We're so understaffed because that, what you saw today, that's what's important. And I started thinking about it and it's like God convicted me. If I don't talk to you about giving, I mean, that's where all the rewards in heaven come from. So I'd rather you be mad at me now talking about it than mad at me for the next few billion years going, why didn't you talk to me about giving? You know, well, we're in heaven together. I think it's so important that we learn this lesson that, that God has for us that we can trust him, worry less, ask more. Instead of worrying, pray. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Number four, almost done. Change your focus from people and circumstances to God. This is a huge one. He says in verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, fill your minds with beauty and truth. Fill your minds with beauty and truth. Meditate on what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, virtuous, praiseworthy. I know many of you are in overwhelming circumstances right now. I know your stories. And I'm not making light of that. But it's so important that we get this. Steve went to a a counselor with his wife, Shirley, and he says this. Let me just read you. I'll never forget what the counselor challenged me and said, here's your assignment. I want you to make a list of the top 10 things that are positive about your wife, Shirley, and daily, every morning, give thanks to God verbally out loud for each of the 10 things. And I remember thinking, there aren't 10 things. And he said, I proved it the first week I came back. I said, I could only come up with three. And the counselor said, work with me, Steve. I want you to think harder. I want you to pray about this. I want you to believe with me about this. Keep asking God and they'll come. He said, I went back home and I did. I just prayed and suddenly things just started coming to me. I got to 10 and I got to 20 and I got to 30. And I had so allowed myself to be dominated by what I didn't like what was going on in my marriage. I I was totally unaware of all the positives that surely how she had impacted my life. He said it was my mental dominance with the negatives that had crowded out all the positives with her. He says this, one of the best pieces of advice I was given during that time frame: don't throw away something just because it's not perfect because it may be very, very good even in its imperfections. He said, I can't imagine if I'd walked away from Shirley My marriage is the sweetest thing in my life today. You see, what is marriage? We have such a misconception. Guys, you marry and you look at her and she goes, she's gonna meet all my needs. No, he's gonna meet all my needs. He's gonna fail miserably. Only God can meet your needs. So you know what marriage is? It's this simple. It's friends with benefits, woohoo, right? hand in hand, walking together, looking to God to meet my needs. I want you to look beyond the circumstances in your life. Is there something good and honorable and true, virtuous? No, I only see ugly circumstances. Look again, because whatever came into your life, it's come through the hands of this Jesus who died for you and loves you that much. 
He allowed this into your life. Last year was not a good year in many ways for me. I lost both my parents pretty much in that year. I was having failed knee surgery after failed knee surgery. A lot of you walked with me. I was actually stuck in my chair 30 weeks of last year, 30 weeks. After each surgery, I had to stay 10 weeks not moving in a chair. You know, at the end, I had that big metal thing around me. I actually, I have an Achilles tendon now in the front of my leg, replacing my patellar tendon from someone that I'm very grateful for. And in the back, I have an Achilles tendon too. So I told the doctor, I don't know if I'm coming or going. I don't know what's going on, you know? But what I, I, I just preached a sermon the week before I, I tore my patellar tendon and my kneecap came way up here, you know, and my quads rolled up. I just preached a sermon on do all things without grumbling and complaining. I was like, oh, shoot. I got to do that now, right? I drew a circle around myself, my life, and I said, God, in the midst of these very, 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 very difficult circumstances, I want to be the most joyful believer I can possibly be. And I focused on him. And you know what? It became one of the sweetest years of my life. My walk with Laura deepened as she had to drive me everywhere. And and it was just this, this cool thing that, that, that happened. Fill your minds with. It's in our mind. The battle is in our mind. It's not in our circumstances. It's not with our wife. What are you filling your mind with? What are you focusing on? The Bible gives us nine tests. It says beauty, truth, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, virtuous, praiseworthy. You know what that is? There's only one entity that can fulfill all of that. That's God. He's saying, keep your mind fixed on God. I love Isaiah 26, 3, one of my favorite verses. It says, you, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Listen to it in the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Thou wilt keep him in shalom, shalom, whose yet's or mindset is stayed on thee. Shalom, shalom. In In the Hebrew, When you put two words back to back like that, it meant exponential. And shalom is this deep sense of wholeness and peace that you have. And he says, I want to give you perfect peace. I want to give you exponential peace. Shalom times shalom. It's amazing. But it says, if you're going to have that, then your mind must be stayed. What is your mind stayed on? What is its, its bedrock? What is it that it always comes back to? See, if it comes back to, I'm your child and you love me, Heavenly Father. And I know it, and I know it, and I know it. And I don't understand any of this, but I know it. Peace. It means that the battle for our peace begins in our minds. And then lastly, this is a big one. Don't just hear these things, do them. Don't just hear it, do it. Listen to what he says. Keep to the script, verse nine. Whatever you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, do it. And the God of peace will walk with you. Now, I don't have that kind of audacity that Paul had to say, hey, you see how I live? You live like that and the God of peace will walk with you. But it wasn't pride. Again, see him in those prison cells, praising. He said, I learned something. It's generosity. I wanna share it with you. The things that you see that I'm doing, these five things that I just talked about, 
outdo them. And what's the promise? The God of peace himself, the Prince of peace, the promised one is here. Another of his names in the Old Testament, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what we have today as believers. God in us, God with us, God all around us. That's what allowed Paul to be that prisoner in Philippi and still sing praises. And God worked a miracle. He opened the prison cells. He he led the jailer and his whole family to, to, to Christ. Okay, the do it part, and this is it. If you didn't hear anything else I said in this last minute, listen to this, because this is what I want you to do. I would say homework, but some of you have such a negative connotation about homework, right? So this is just the do it part. Your prayer time to God, when you're trying to offload this stuff to God, I want you, if you don't already use a journal, I want you to go buy a journal. We should, you know, H-E-B, they should sell out of little spiral notebooks. Don't get a fancy journal, because when you get a fancy one, then everybody thinks, oh, a cool journal, I want to read it. Don't let them read your stuff. Just get a plain old spiral notebook, okay? And here's what I want you to do. Take a page a day. Don't try to overdo it. Some of you, I mean, you're like me. You're like, I'm going to fill out that whole notebook day one, you know? I want you, especially in those times that you're anxious, to make a list of everything that is draining you of that emotional energy. What's making you anxious? Write them down. Write them down. Not general things. I mean, specific things that you can feel the emotional connection to that issue. Write these out. The kids, you know, or finances. A lot of times the list will be six to 10 items long. And one of the things that really causes anxiety to be high is it just feels generalized. Get specific. What is it that's causing you anxiety? Write them down. She is, you know, I don't know what. And then I want you to look at that list and I want you to see what you can do something about. And I want you to put a little X by the ones you can do something about. Transfer those over to your to-do list and get on it, okay? But what you're gonna find is 85 to 90% of what you wrote down here, you're not gonna be able to do anything about. I mean, you're gonna change your grown kids' lives? I mean, how are you gonna do that? How, how, How are you gonna... Do this with, I mean, how are you going to do these things? And when you realize that most of the list, you haven't put a a little X by and transferred over, I want you every day, every day to take each of those individually and hold them and feel the weight. Feel the weight? My marriage. Feel the weight. It's heavy luggage. And then I want you to see the Prince of Peace holds in his hands, his feet. He died for you. He loves you. He has so much good for you. I want you to take that thing. Maybe it's cancer. Take it. Drop it at his feet. Just drop it and leave it there. Whenever you're tempted to pick it up during the day, go back to your notebook and say, oh no, that's his, not mine. It's his. That's prayer. That's taking the worry away. Every time you start to worry, oh, I'm giving it to you. Remember, I gave that to you, God. That's yours. You know, one guy, he had an old car that was giving him all kinds of trouble. And he did that and he dropped it at God's feet. And then whenever the car would start messing up, he'd go, God, your car is messing up. 
I felt so much less stress, you know? God's car was on the blink again. How are you going to fix it, you know? I want you just to close your eyes with me. Thanks for letting me go over just a little bit. But I think it's so important that we get this. If you don't go home and do this, it's kind of been a wasted time. The Bible says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. That's what changes us. So I want to challenge you. Do this. I promise you, it will be night and day for you. Let me pray for you for that. God, I'm asking that. We love you. We're your little kids. Some of us are going through some, oh, I mean, just stuff. Just a terrible time right now. And we haven't been rejoicing in you. We've been looking at our circumstances. Would you help us to wrench our eyes off of that and see you again? See that never is anything allowed into our life without purpose. We don't understand it. We may never understand it this side of heaven, but you're doing something. It's honorable and virtuous right and true, good. You're allowing that so that you can do that in us. Let us believe that. God, help us to believe in your heart toward us. Help us, Jesus, to see your hands and feet and know that you died for us and that you want relationship with us and that everything you're doing is to make us into your image, to make us like you, Jesus. We step into this in faith right now. And I thank you that it's going to change us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.